Thank you for tuning in today at Propel Church. Whether you're watching through YouTube or listening through a podcast, we want to say thank you. Our hope at Propel is that you would be propelled into an authentic relationship with Jesus. From wherever you are tuning in, we hope that you are encouraged and inspired by this week's message. We are in the last week of a message series called Strapped. And the whole purpose of this series is really designed to help us rethink uh, the way we think about money. And so in week one, we talked about going from panic to peace. And then last week, we talked about going from scarcity to supply. And I am so excited. I've been hearing story after story of people in this message series who have started trusting God financially and have seen God do some really incredible things. God has shown up. And that's what we believe. We believe that when we trust God with his finances, what he's given us, that he blesses us in ways that are unimaginable. And so if you have one of those stories, we would love to hear about it. That Connect card gives you the ability to let us know that too. Come on, another, another plug right there. But no, these stories are incredible, and they're stories that are really important because sometimes people think, well, the pastor's going to talk about money because church needs money. That's not the goal of this series. The goal is to help you and I rethink the way we think about money because if you have a healthy mindset around God's money, I believe that you can experience breakthrough and freedom in your finances like never before. And so we've been talking about money throughout this series, and today I want to talk to you from the topic of from greedy to generous. Now, the other day uh, I was hanging out with some of the kids who are uh, Dream Team kids, so they're kids of people who serve here on our team, and uh, it was after one of our worship experiences, and I had some Oreos, and I was like, man, I'm going to be generous today. I'm going to share my Oreos with these kids. So I gave these kids my Oreos. Well, they ran off with the package, right? My intention was just to give them a few, but they were like a little snatch and grab. And they darted off. And so I came up to them and I was like, hey, could I have one of those Oreos? And they said, no. <laughs> and so sometimes when we talk about greedy, we don't have a definition of it. Here's how I would define greedy. Someone who loves the gift more than the gift giver. What happened is these kids love the Oreos more than they love me. I can't blame them, but I'm just saying. Now, now, but here's the thing. The same is true with our own finances. If you want to know whether you're greedy or not, the question is, do you love what God's given you more than you love God? Because scripture teaches us that the love of money is the root of all evil. It's not that money is evil. Some people say money is evil. You know, the Bible says money is evil. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says the love of money is evil because we love the gift more than we love the gift giver. And so I want to take you to a passage of scripture in John chapter 12 today. And uh, to understand John chapter 12 really well, we need to understand what happens in John chapter 11. So John chapter 11, Jesus gets word that his friend Lazarus is sick. His sisters call out to him, but Lazarus ends up dying. Now, Jesus says that Lazarus' sickness won't end in death, but then he shows up to the town where Lazarus was at, and his sisters, one of them, Martha, says to Jesus, Jesus, if you would have only been here, my brother Lazarus would not have died. And he says to her, he's just sleeping. I think they're all thinking, 
Jesus. That's not how death works. But Jesus then goes to the edge of the tomb where Lazarus is at, and he says, Lazarus, come forth, and Lazarus gets up from the dead. He literally is resurrected. Scripture says that the whole town was in awe of God, and many came to know Christ that day. It was an incredibly huge moment. So we end chapter 11 with the resurrection of Lazarus. Jesus has raised Lazarus from the dead. He was once dead, but has now been brought back to life. And then this is what we find in chapter 12. Are you ready to open God's Word? Yeah. Come on, 930. Or 9? Nine, well, it's about to be 9.30. Let's see. John chapter 12, beginning of verse 1, says this. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had just raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume, and she poured it on the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who would later betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As the keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. I love this passage of text because I really think that we see two different people. We see the posture that Mary has towards Jesus, and we see the posture that Judas has towards Jesus. Mary is an example of generosity, while Judas is an example of greed. And if you read through Scripture, Scripture talks a lot about people who are greedy, and, and, and all the while what it says is that greed ultimately ends up leading to death and destruction, that greed will actually get you to a place where you never intended to go or that you never wanted to go. And if you just look at the case study of the life of Mary versus the life of Judas, what you'll end up seeing is that Judas ends up hanging himself. His life ultimately ends up in death while Mary gets to be a part of the resurrection story, is used by God in powerful ways, and God continues to advance what he's doing in her life and in return is advancing the people who come to know Jesus through her work. The difference between being greedy and generous, I believe, ultimately determines where you end up in life. It determines whether your life is enjoyable. It determines whether you end up making a difference in this world. Greedy and being greedy ends up leading towards death, while being generous ends up giving you more and more life. See, what Mary's doing is she sees that there's this party for Jesus. And while there's a party going on, what Mary ultimately realizes is that instead of hoarding what she has, which is this pint of pure nard, this expensive perfume, that she would bring it as a gift. And instead of just hoarding it, she releases it. That's what generosity is all about. And so I'm going to give you three like really practical things this morning that'll help you in the area of generosity. And here's the first one, is that generosity 
is our response to what God has done. Generosity is our response. So when we read the context of John chapter 12, which is John chapter 11, there's a party that's being thrown in honor of Jesus. Now, this is not just a random gift that Mary would bring. This was a gift that was done in response to what Jesus had just done. This was a big moment for Mary because Mary was really struggling. Mary and Martha reached out to Jesus and said, Jesus, we need you to come. Our brother Lazarus is sick. He's going to die. And Jesus stays where he's at, and Lazarus ultimately ends up dying. This is something that's traumatic for them. It's heartaching for them to the point where Scripture tells us it's the shortest verse in all of Scripture. Jesus wept. He wept with them. His heart was broken for them. And they're on this journey together, but Jesus comes and does what no one else could do. He brought something that was dead back to life. And after Jesus brings something that is dead and brings it back to life, the response is generosity. When I understand what God has done, I'll pour out what God gives. When I see that God has blessed me, when I see that God has changed me, when I see what God is doing in the life of myself and the life of other people, I can't help but be generous. I'm not giving because I have to. I'm giving because I want to honor what God has already done. And the story of bringing something dead back to life is the same story that we have. Mary's gift of generosity is no different than the gifts we bring because it's just to honor the fact that something was dead but is now alive. And that's my story. The reason why I give The reason why I'm generous is because I understand what God has done. I don't get up. I'm not anybody a morning person. Come on, a couple of you. We don't like you, right? Like I am. You wake up ready to go. It's like, I got to work. This morning I woke up and I was like, oh, bless me, Lord. You know, like I'm going to need the joy of the Lord to hit my face this morning because I ain't. Why do I give my gifts? Why do I give my time, my talent, my treasure? Because I understand what God has done. See, a little over 10 years ago, I was stuck and trapped in a drug addiction, but there was a God who loved me enough to not leave me dead, but gave me an opportunity to come back to life. And now because of that, my response is generosity. Generosity is our response. It's not an obligation. I meet people all the time who are like, oh, I have to pay my tithes. You don't have to do anything. You get to. It's a privilege. Because here's the thing. Jesus didn't need that expensive perfume poured on his feet. But it was Mary's way of honoring him. God doesn't need your money. But when you honor him with it, he'll do more with it than you could ever think. And so we live in this culture where People are always trying to figure out, well, well, how much should I give, net or gross? Or, you know, if I give my tax return, do I tithe on my tax return? Or I feel like the Lord's leading me to give money, but it seems like it's a little much. How do I do this? Again, when you understand what God's done, you'll pour out what he gives. And here's what I've learned over the years. You can't outgive God. You can't outgive God. 
You say, well, how much is enough? I don't know. But here's what I've learned. Every time Tori and I have taken that next step of faith to give and to trust God financially, he just keeps on giving because you can't outgive him. Scripture says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6 through 8. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. Now, this verse right here, I think is really important because I think this verse is where offerings come into play. Tithing is about obedience. Offerings are about generosity. When you give 10% of your money back to God through the local church, it doesn't make you generous. It just means you quit stealing God's money. It means you tithe, right? That's, uh, that's obedience. Generosity is where we decide in our heart, we predetermine our response to give because we've experienced what God has done. So it says each of you should give what you have decided in your own heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Why does God want you to trust him? Why should you decide what to give in your heart and trust God financially? Because God has access to unlimited resources. He is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, come on, you need to circle that word, underline it in all things at all times. You'll have all that you need, not just having all that you need, but you will abound. You will increase. You will overflow in every area of your life. If you and I will get generous with what God has given us, time, talent, and treasure, you will see an outpouring of the Spirit in your life like you could never imagine. But it starts with being generous. But sometimes we don't feel like being generous. You ever felt like being stingy? You ever felt like the Lord pushed you to give something and you were like, not today, Satan, you ain't going to fool me with that. <laughs> I promise Satan rarely tempts you to bless somebody. <laughs> but what I've learned is the more we say no to the Spirit of God, the harder it becomes to hear him. How do we stay cheerful in this? We stay cheerful by remembering what God has done. We give cheerfully because of what God has done. It's our response to the understanding of what God has done in our life. And it's not an obligation. It's an opportunity. I love what Zig Ziglar says. He says, life is an echo. What you send out comes back. What you sow, you reap. What you give, you get. And what you see in others exists in you. So when we look at giving, here's what Scripture says, that God loves a cheerful giver. If you're giving reluctantly or under compulsion or you're just kind of mad when you give, quit giving. Don't do it because it's not the right response. It's not the right posture. But when you give cheerfully, it's an understanding of what God has done, and it's a celebration of that. Here's my second point for the morning, is that generosity impacts Everyone around you. Generosity impacts everyone around you. 
So Mary is at the house. She's at the party. John chapter 3, or John chapter 12, verse 3 says that Mary took a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it onto the feet of Jesus, wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Mary is the original Glade plug-in, all right? All right, Mary has made a decision to pour out this perfume. And when she pours out this perfume, it isn't just something that impacts her, it's something that fills the entire house with fragrance, which means that everybody who is around Jesus in this moment becomes impacted by one person's decision to pour out what they were given. We think oftentimes when we give or we get generous that it's just for us. It's not just for you. It impacts every single person around you in multiple ways. One of the ways that it does is it sets the pace for other people's generosity. When you're a leader, when you're a follower of Jesus and you understand the position that God has given you, sometimes you don't get to just wait for somebody else to do it. You have to pioneer and trailblaze, and in doing so, you are modeling for other people what it actually looks like. So Mary's example to the people in the house was to pour out something that was worth a year's wages. It was something that was expensive. It was something that's extravagant. And what she's communicating to the rest of the people is that Jesus is worth it. He's worth an extravagant gift. He's worth it all. Because, listen, Jesus doesn't need to perfume. What kind of gift is suitable for the one who can bring dead things back to life? There's not a gift. But it's the posture of humility and the response. The power is not in the extravagance of the gift. It's in the releasing of the gift. Because Mary could have access to this perfume... It probably sat on a shelf in her house. But just because you have access to something doesn't make it powerful. Power comes from releasing. It comes from letting go. It comes from pouring out. Because the longer that perfume sat in the bottle, the longer it would live without fulfilling its intended purpose. Perfume wasn't meant to be bottled. It was meant to be poured out. And can I tell you your money is the same way? Your money was never designed to sit in a bank account and just store up for the rest of your life. Your money was designed to be poured out so that it could impact other people around you, so that it could make a difference in the world, so that God's kingdom could continue to advance, so that we could see more and more people meet Jesus. The perfume was designed to be poured out. And money is a great tool. It's a great resource. But let me ask you a question. Is, is your financial income, is your money just making a difference in your life or is it making a difference in the world around you? Because if it's just impacting you, it's not fulfilling its intended purpose. When Mary poured out this perfume, the fragrance expands through the entire house. And here's the cool thing. When you pour out expensive perfume, the fragrance will extend past the event itself. Which, in terms of generosity, when you pour it out, when you give it, it doesn't just stop in that moment. It continues to go beyond. 
it continues to make a difference. And the reason why we talk about money and generosity in the church, I think, is two reasons. Here's how it makes a, a difference. Number one, when you give through the church, your generosity in the church allows your money to impact people in places that you will never go. So how many of you um, are, are currently like signed up to take a trip to Africa this year? Not a single person. All right? Some of you are like, you're nudging your spouse. Like, we about to be, you know? <laughs> but here's the thing. Right now as a church, we partner with a missionary couple in Africa who in just the last 12 months have helped see over 200 people encounter Jesus. Come see, come on. We can celebrate that. When you give through the church, your money goes to places that you will never go. And those gifts, that pouring out, is impacting the world around you. The world is a little bit bigger than Mount Pleasant and the surrounding areas. So when we give through the church, it compounds. It, we all come together to make this thing happen, and it makes such a big difference. Your money goes to places that you'll never go. And then here's the second thing. When we give through the church, our money impacts eternity. So when we give, we see Mount Pleasant and the surrounding areas meet Jesus, and that's incredible right now. But make no mistake, it extends past just this singular event. As we continue to see God move, it takes all of us coming together and contributing financially to give and to sow and to sacrifice. And as we do that, we're not just going to see our friends and our family members meet Jesus but the good news is we're building a church that your kids and your grandkids can be a part of. And as we do that, we're going to see generations and family lineages change forever through the power of the gospel. It's not just making a difference right now. It's impacting eternity. And when you, every, so, so here's the cool thing. You know, every weekend we do a salvation prayer. Just to celebrate something with you, last weekend, two people gave their life to Jesus. Come on, can we celebrate that? Yeah. Two people gave their life to Jesus, and we're talking about money. I'm just saying, God's doing cool stuff. He's doing real cool stuff. In all honesty, we could track it through the years. We typically see more people get saved during money series than we do any other time. And I'll tell you why. It's because God desires to talk about the things that fight for the affection of your heart. You can't serve both God and money. So if you've made money your God, it's a good opportunity for you to surrender your life to Jesus. But every single weekend when people get saved, people raise their hand, they make that decision for Jesus, their lives are changed forever. Your giving made that possible. It created the space for them to come in and encounter Jesus. And that's how your generosity is impacting other people around you. It makes such a big difference. And then here's the third thing. Our time to be generous is limited. Our time to be generous is limited. John chapter 8, verse 12. Here's what the text says. Judas has just told Mary, how dare you pour out all this money? How, why, why in the world would you give such an extravagant gift. Mary understood you can't outgive God, but, but just like Zig Ziglar said, here, the thing that people criticize in you the most is often your inner struggle. So Judas is concerned about how Mary spends her money, but he steals money. 
So be, sometimes your critics are, just have misguided passion for the thing that they can't overcome in their life. Judas has this conversation, but then Jesus takes up for Mary and he says, leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. So Jesus actually has an understanding of Mary's intention with this perfume. And the intention of the perfume was that it would be saved for a later date. And at the later date, once Jesus died, that would be used. But then what Jesus says is, you'll always have the poor among you, but you won't always have me. I wonder how many times we are saving for something, not realizing that our time is limited. Our time is numbered. Our days are numbered. And for some of us, what we allow is we allow our good intentions to miss moments where God is prompting us to be obedient. So Mary, in this moment, had the intention of saving the perfume. That's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. It was a gift that she planned on using, but good intentions with bad decisions are still bad decisions. Come on. The intention of saving it didn't trump the prompting of God. And when Mary is standing there, and she's in awe of what God has done, when she's looking at her brother Lazarus, who is dead but is now reclining at the table, laughing and joking, when she sees that Jesus had the ability to bring something that was dead back to life, she didn't just sit and think, you know what, I'm saving this for a different day. She said, no, I believe the best thing I could do is take what God has given me and pour it back out. And when she goes from the shelf to the floor to pour it out. Everybody around got to experience a beautiful moment that impacted them, that filled the whole house with fragrance. And then if you keep reading in the text, the next part says that then everybody from the crowd showed up to then worship Jesus. Well, here's the thing. It's real easy to give when everybody's watching. But are you willing to sow before the crowd shows up? Are you willing to give in preparation for the people who aren't here yet? Because you're setting the pace and setting the example for the ones who will come later. Parents, you want your kids to be generous, but you're not generous. You want your kids to serve sacrificially and live sacrificial lives, but you ain't sacrificed anything in a long time. You can't have it both ways. You're modeling something for them. But my concern for many of us is that we get our biblical viewpoints or our financial stewardship guides from the world and not the word. And what the world teaches us to do is to just save up money, to store things up with no purpose other than you might be able to leave some better things for your kids. And hear me say this. I know I had to tell you last week, I'm not anti-debt. I'm not anti-savings account either. I think you should have a savings account. Come on, if you don't have a savings account, you need a savings account. I call it an oh crap fund, you know? <laughs> Tires blow, oh crap. Oh, we got some money sitting there, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, it's, say, you need a savings account. But, but if you have no purpose for what you're doing with your finances, it's wasted. And to illustrate this, Jesus tells this parable in Luke chapter 12. He says this, 
And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. So this guy made a ton of money. He had a ton of resources. And he thought to himself, what should I do? I have no place to store my crops. In other words, there was this big increase. And he's sitting here going, you know what? I don't really know what to do with this. But here's what I'll do. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns, the current thing I have, and I'll build even bigger ones. And there I'll store up my surplus of gains. And I'll look back and I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. And God's response to him is, you fool. Now those are harsh words. But this is the reality of the typical American dream that we have, which I don't have anything wrong with the American dream, but the American dream does not trump the kingdom of God. And the goal is not just to store up and to build a bigger house and to build a bigger business and to get more things. When you do those things, you are missing out on the intended purpose. Jesus looks at this man and his response is, really? You want to just build a bigger house? You want to just build a car? You just want to create the environment where you can take life easy? You fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be. Whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. If you want to know what kingdom finances look like, it looks like you and I being in the place where we're not just trying to build bigger and better, but we're trying to figure out how many people we can impact with what God has given us. How can we impact people with our time? You and I will never have enough time to do all the things we think we need to do, but you have all the time you need to do everything God has called you to. How are you leveraging your time to advance God's kingdom, your talent. You know God made you unique for a reason. And it's not so that you could spend the rest of your life trying to work on your weaknesses. It's so that you could live out your unique design to be placed in the body of Christ and to see more people meet Jesus. Because after you've experienced salvation, your response is to live your life in service to the one who sacrificed everything for you. Your treasure Jesus says where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Does the way you steward your finances communicate that you are trying to impact the kingdom of God? Because if not, I'll tell you that this American dream of just building bigger and getting more will be the most unsatisfying thing you've ever done in your entire life. But if you'll seek first the kingdom of God, everything else will be added to you. My hope is that during this series, you've learned that you don't have to panic, but can have peace when you trust God with what he's given you. That you wouldn't have to live in this consistent, oh man, I don't have enough. Where am I going to get what I need? But you'd understand that if you'll utilize what God's given you, he'll supply everything you need. And this week, my goal was just to teach you that generosity 
is a response to everything that God has done in your life. You don't have to give. It's a privilege. It's a privilege to show up at the party and to pour out something in honor of the one who gave everything for us. Let me pray over you. God, we love you so much and we thank you for the opportunity to just talk through finances and to unpack and uncover the gifts that you have given us. I pray financial blessing over every single person. God, we know that the goal is not to just get more, but the goal is to bankrupt hell and impact heaven. May that be the cry of our heart, to leverage every single thing you've given us for the purpose of advancing your kingdom. And as every head is bowed and every eye is still closed, I'd be remiss if I missed an opportunity to point you towards Christ. See, just like Jesus brought Lazarus back to life, Jesus is doing the same thing with us today. Because spiritually, according to Scripture, we are dead in our transgressions. But Jesus made a way for us to become alive. And for some of you, when we look at the inside of your life, you would say, hey, pastor, I am dead on the inside. And here's the thing. There's nothing you can do to fix that on your own. But I'll tell you this. If you surrender your life to Jesus, he is still in the business of bringing dead things back to life. And so whether you're in person or online, we want to create the space for you to surrender your life to Christ. If you want to make that decision today to say, hey, I... I need to be born again. I need to be brought back to life. I want to surrender my life to Christ. Would you just indicate that by lifting your hand for a moment, saying, hey, that's me. You can indicate that if you're watching online as well. Here's what we're going to do, church. Nobody prays alone. We're all going to pray together. Will you repeat this after me? Dear Jesus, today I give you my life. I place my hope and trust in you. Thank you for dying in my place so that I could have new life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for checking out this week's message. If you made any decisions for Jesus or you need a next step or have a prayer request, let us know by going to www.propel.church/hub. That leads you to our digital connect card where you can fill out all of that information as well as see what we have coming up here at Propel. Thank you again for tuning in, and we hope to see you again soon.